You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. It's great to worship with you all. As always, great to sing and to worship our King. I want to welcome everyone on the live stream. We're so thankful that you're able to join us this morning as well. Know that we're praying for you, and we have hopes and expectations that God will meet you right where you're at this morning as well. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard, and as you saw in the video, we're starting a new series today called The Everyday Kingdom. The Everyday Kingdom. I'm really excited about this series because we're going to be introducing some new theological concepts that have always been incredibly important to the Vineyard Church. Vineyard Church is at an international level, to be honest. They've always really centered their teachings on the kingdom of God. And, and these concepts and these theological ideas, they're so important to us because they were important to Jesus. The kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom is everywhere in his teachings, in his life, in the way that he lived. They were central to almost everything that he did. It was all about the gospel of the kingdom. This is a phrase that you read over and over and over again in scripture. And through the years, the church has kind of shortened the phrase to just two words, the gospel or good news. But really, when you dig into the scriptures time and time again, what you hear is the full phrase, the gospel of the kingdom or the kingdom of God or some kind of iteration of that. And the reason we're not just calling this series the gospel of the kingdom is because I love theology. I love to geek out on theology and have really nerdy conversations and get into the minutia of all of the details. What I really love is when theology impacts and changes lives. That's what I really love about theology, when it begins to impress upon us a new way of living, and that's why we're calling this the everyday kingdom, not because we want to change the biblical phrase, but because from the onset, we want to demonstrate that how we're talking about the kingdom and how we're digging into the the scriptures should impact the way that we engage with God, of course, with each other, with the world around us, and it's all part of this picture of joining God's mission transforming all things. So I want to start by looking at a very direct and profound statement by Jesus himself. The passage really will begin to to create some groundwork, a foundation that we're then going to launch off of for the coming weeks. This passage talks explicitly about the kingdom and Jesus really narrows in on it and, and says some really direct and profound things about why he came to earth in the first place. Luke 4 Verses 42 and 43. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowds searched everywhere for him, and when he finally found them, they begged him not to leave them. But Jesus replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. That is why I was sent, Jesus said. This is my purpose. This is my reason for being here. It's what I must be about, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. This is a strong and purposeful statement. And it's important to start here because I think over the years, the message of Jesus has gotten diluted over time 
and just turned into a message, at least in some atmospheres, in some environments, turned into a message only about getting saved, only about getting baptized, and someday leaving this place we call earth and going to heaven. And those are important things. We should all, we should all celebrate things like salvation and baptism and eternity in the presence of our loving Father. But just those things alone pale in comparison to the expansiveness of the kingdom of God and how Jesus talked about this enormous topic while he was on earth. And so for the next eight weeks, all of February and all of March, we're going to be in this series called The Everyday Kingdom. We're going to examine and study and preach and pray and apply various texts to our own lives about Christ and about his kingdom. We're going to cover all kinds of topics, and I'm fully aware that today it might feel a little bit like you're drinking from a fire hose, the amount of information that you might get, especially if it's new. But my hope is that through this series, we'll all understand what it means when we come across this phrase in the Gospels or in the Old and New Testament, the kingdom of God or the gospel of the kingdom. I also pray that we'll see just how central this teaching was to Christ and how it impacts our everyday lives. So here's how I want to start the series. I'm going to play a video that's been produced by The Bible Project. If you've never heard of The Bible Project, I want to highly recommend pretty much everything they put out. I've put this video link in the sermon notes online. I've also put a link to download their app. I want to highly recommend you download their app on your phone. It's fantastic. They take macro theological ideas and condense them to three or four minute videos that are so helpful, always in line with scripture. I watch them personally. We watch them as a family. They have done incredible work through their app and through their work. Um, And today's video, the one I want to show you, is all about the kingdom of God. It's about five minutes long, so it's the longest video I think I've ever played uh, since I've been the pastor here at this church, but it really explains the macro picture of the gospel of the kingdom in such a clear way and way better than I could do it. This would turn into a 50-minute sermon if I tried to cover the ground they did, so we can all sigh because they're going to be able to do it in five minutes. But just so you know, I am coming back up to preach more after. It just won't be another full sermon in length. But let's watch this. It will lay the groundwork for some of the rest of our series together. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger. And he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? 
that despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right, but for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. The king who defeated death with his love. I love how that video finishes.
displaying this act of love that reverses the course of human history through the sacrifice of the crucifixion. Video does such a good job explaining the big picture of everything, and I loved how towards the beginning, they said that really anytime Jesus preached, anytime he taught or spoke, whether it was in message or in parables or to his disciples on the side that he was speaking about the kingdom, that even when he healed and he set people free, that he was magnifying the good news of the kingdom of God. As we look at the rest of our time here this morning, what I want to do then is I want to explore this definition of the kingdom just a little bit more. I want to talk about how we see the kingdom of God advanced both in Scripture and today in our own lives, and then we're going to finish by a really practical way that we can engage with God right here this morning. So first, let's spend some time kind of defining the kingdom. For most of us, when we hear the phrase, the kingdom of God, we start to think about a place. And this makes sense, I think, for most of us because we think about our examples that have come before us, like kings and kingdoms, and how all of the kings and kingdoms are represented usually by someone with a crown in a throne or on a throne with, with a castle around and maybe a scepter in his hand, sovereignly ruling over his empire and always wanting to expand that empire and defend that empire and make that empire thrive. And then if you take that idea and you add it to this phrase, the kingdom of God, and you start to think about the splendor and the majesty, the beauty and the love of Jesus, it makes a lot of sense then that, that for a number of us, for a number of years, we have begun to kind of overlap the kingdom of God with heaven. We've tried to almost make those two phrases synonymous. But that's not exactly what the Bible means when we read the phrase kingdom of God. It's not exactly what the Bible teaches. When the Bible says kingdom of God, it's not talking about a far off distant land. It's not talking about something that you die and then enter into in the afterlife. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But it's talking about something way bigger and way deeper, way more spiritually uh, interesting than just a far off distant land. When Jesus talked about the kingdom, he used specific words. And if you study those words in the original language, you really begin to realize that he wasn't talking about a physical place at all. He was talking about rule and reign, power and authority. He spoke about how God's kingdom was a dynamic of his rule and reign, how it was expressed through his power and authority. And so when Jesus taught, he used those types of words to talk about the kingdom of God. And so when we say kingdom of God all throughout this series, but even when you read it in your own um, time in, in Scripture and you come across this phrase, it really takes on a different definition than a far-off distant land. A, a working definition that should work for all of us is that the kingdom of God is really God's rule and God's reign. And whenever you run across that phrase, the kingdom of God, you can kind of think to yourself, okay, we're talking about God's rule and his reign, his power and authority. And again, if you remember from the video, this was kind of inaugurated. It was kind of established with Jesus enthroned upon the cross. Strangely, the establishment of his rule and reign started with death. 
and sacrifice. It doesn't mean that his rule and reign is less authoritative. It just means that his rule and reign is never seen outside of love, and it almost always includes some kind of element of sacrifice that's tied along with it. And so if you dig into Scripture, I'm going to read a couple of Scriptures, and if you think about this definition of the rule and reign of God in place of this phrase, or in definition, I should say, of this phrase, the kingdom of God, then it really begins to bring to light kind of what you're starting to read about in the Gospels. So let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Again, thinking about the rule and reign of God. This is what it says. The time promised by God has come at last. This is Jesus speaking. He says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. This is Jesus uh, announcing the arrival of his kingdom, that the time of the kingdom of God has drawn near, that it's come close. But remember, Jesus isn't talking about something magical that happens and drops out of heaven and comes on to earth. He was the living embodiment of that, but that's not exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the rule and reign, the authority and power of God. And so if you think about that definition as you read these texts, one thing that's been super helpful for me is to add that definition when I read that phrase as I read in the scriptures. If you have paper Bibles, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these things. They have pages. You can, you can write in them and circle things. And I think you can do it on your phone too. So, but here's, here's, what, here's what you can do. When you come across a phrase, the kingdom of God or the gospel of the kingdom, you can circle it. And in the margin, you can write rule and reign or power and authority. And if you do that, then when you read this text, it will read like this. I've put it in the scripture on the slide. Let's read Mark 1.15 again with this definition in mind. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God, the rule and reign, the power and authority of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus is saying the rule and reign has drawn near. The power and authority that we so desperately need, it's at hand. It's within reach and it's come to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Let's do this again one more time from Luke 4, the passage that I read to open up our series together. Luke 4, 43, but Jesus replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. I must preach the rule and reign, the power and authority of God in other towns too, because this is why I was sent. So he begins to have a little bit of a different life to it, right? This is why Jesus was sent. He was sent to proclaim the rule and reign of God and that it was near. But again, remember, it's like I, I know this is kind of theological and that doesn't mean a lot unless we move out of theoretical mode and into application mode, into how this impacts and affects our everyday lives. And so if we apply this theology, it gets really exciting for us. The reason this is so important is because Jesus isn't saying the kingdom of God is something that you go off to when you die. It's not something that you escape this earth to enter into the kingdom of God someday. He is saying that in Christ, the kingdom of God has drawn near to you and to me, that it can be tangible, that it can be experienced, that it can grow in your heart and in your life and in your relationships, that the kingdom of God can grow all around you. The time of God's kingdom, the time of his rule and reign, his power and authority has come 
near. A word picture that's kind of helped me understand this over the years as I've navigated my own way through understanding the kingdom of God has been the word picture of a U.S. embassy that would be placed in another country. And I know I just said the kingdom of God's not a place, and now I'm using an example where we're talking about a place, but the concept really works, I think. If you're abroad, let's say you travel abroad, you're in a foreign country and you do something really bad that you get in a lot of trouble, right? Like think Jason Bourne type of movies, right? Um, Or maybe you're way nicer than I am and you just like lose your passport and you need help, right? That's probably more realistic. Um, You can rush off to a U.S. embassy, And when you get into the U.S. Embassy, although you're in a foreign land, although you're in a different country, once you're in that U.S. Embassy, you are beginning to experience U.S. customs and values, rules and responsibilities. That area is going to be governed a lot like the United States would be governed. And so even though you're not in the U.S., you're protected by U.S. officials and the U.S. government's authority. See, you're recognizing the rule and reign of your homeland even though you're abroad. Is this kind of making sense? So if you take that word picture, if you take that idea about being a in, kind of in this embassy picture and, and you look at another passage, this time Luke 17, 21. Luke 17, 21, I chose this one because it begins to explain yet another layer of the kingdom of God. Think about this idea when you read this text. For the kingdom of God, again, the rule and reign, the power and authority, is already among you, Jesus said. It's already among you. Some translations will read, it's within you or it's within your grasp. It means Jesus is setting up embassies all over the world, inside of people's lives, inside of local churches, inside of relationships. It means that whenever and wherever the rule and reign of Christ, the power and authority of God is recognized, his kingdom is present and among you. It's within grasp. It's within reach. And so just like when you're at a U.S. embassy, you can experience U.S. rules and regulations even though you're abroad, when you decide to follow Jesus and you pledge your allegiance to him and you give your life to him, you begin to operate with his rule and reign in and through your life. His plans, his purposes, his ways, not our own. Again, a little Hetty, I know, but it's exciting because the implications are profound. This means that for each and every one of us, wherever you go, the kingdom goes with you. Wherever you go, the kingdom goes with you. If you're a follower of Christ, you are a walking embassy every step you take. You're an ambassador of Christ, as other parts of Scripture would say. If you've pledged your allegiance to Jesus, if you've allowed him to set up his rule and reign, power and authority in your life, then wherever you go, the kingdom goes with you. You can invite the rule and reign of God into your home. You can invite the power and authority of Christ into your family. If you go to work or you go to school or you run your own business, you can invite the kingdom of God into those moments. 
even the hidden corners of your life, even the places that you try to not tell anyone about and you hide from everyone else, if you'll allow it, God will take his rule and reign and begin to soften all those areas of your heart. Even if you walk to the darkest places that you can imagine in the world, if you're a follower of Christ, you can take the kingdom of God with you wherever you go. Of course, the, the grand qualifier in all of that is that it's rarely automatic. It doesn't just magically grow with every step that you take, and wherever your shadow falls, the kingdom automatically shows up in power. It might mean that the kingdom is working within you. It might mean that it's transforming you from the inside out. It might mean that you get to experience moments of breakthrough here and there. But it most likely means that it's not every single step you see this immense breakthrough and expression of the kingdom. We have to partner with God to see the kingdom of God growing around us. So I want to talk briefly about how the kingdom of God grows and how it advances in your life, but also the world around you, because we want to see transformation of all things, right? We want to see lives and families and cities and states and entire nations transformed with the gospel of the kingdom. If you're a note taker, you can write down rule and reign kind of as a working definition of the kingdom of God. Another phrase to write down, one that we'll talk about over and over and over again in the next seven or eight weeks is proclamation and demonstration. Proclamation and demonstration. And this is an important phrase because all through the gospels, this is the primary way that you see the kingdom of God advancing. This is the primary way you see the kingdom of God growing. It's through proclamation and it's through demonstration. When Jesus was on the earth, this is how he lived. And as the video wrapped up, the conclusion was that he's inviting us to be about the same kinds of things, to continue his story of proclamation and demonstration and advancing the kingdom of God through these things. This is the classic kind of elementary version of show and tell. You proclaim and you demonstrate. I loved show and tell growing up. Are you kidding me? I get to bring stuff from my life and everyone has to listen to me talk? I'm still showing and telling quite a bit in my life. It was all training. It was all training. No, this is, this is how the kingdom of God advances. It's through proclamation and demonstration, showing and telling. It's, it's word and deed, all wrapped into one. Jesus taught, and then he healed. He preached, and then he delivered. He broke bread, and then he hung on the cross, proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom time and time again. One of the biggest places that you can see this in the Gospels is in the first Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew. In, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this is the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus is proclaiming his longest recorded sermon. And then in Matthew 8, 9, and 10, it's all demonstration. He calms the storm. He heals the sick. He delivers the oppressed. He sets the captives free. And Matthew wrote his gospel on that way intentionally to demonstrate from the very beginning, this is how Jesus did it. He proclaimed the message of the kingdom. And then he demonstrated the message of the kingdom time and time 
Again, this is everywhere in the Gospels, and he's inviting you to do the same, to carry the kingdom with you like you're a walking embassy, like you're a walking ambassador living in the kingdom wherever life may take you. And he's, in, he's inviting you to live a lifestyle of proclamation and demonstration. As a follower of Christ, this is your invitation to live a lifestyle of proclamation and demonstration. We're going to talk about what that can look like in more detail in the weeks to come, but the examples are, are everywhere as you read through the Gospels. Every page has an example of how you can proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom, right? The proclaiming is, is simple. It's your story with Christ. What has God done in your life? How has He healed you? How has He forgiven you? How has He offered you joy? How has He walked through, or how has He locked walked in your life through the, the mountaintops and the valleys. And it's you telling your story of all that God has done. This is the beginning steps of proclamation, but it's also in the demonstrating. It's in praying for the sick. It's in offering forgiveness to those who have hurt you. It's in generosity and justice. It's in empowering the marginalized and caring for the poor among you. It's all part of demonstrating the gospel to a world in need. See, Jesus invites you to continue the work that he has begun, to grow the kingdom through proclamation and demonstration of the good news. This is the calling. This is our calling. This is my calling. This is your calling. And sometimes it happens in big ways, but most of the time it happens in really small ways, ways that are sometimes even so small they're unseen. But in every moment, we have an opportunity to grow the kingdom through proclamation and demonstration. As I kind of prepare to close this morning, just a quick recap, because this is the foundation of the weeks to come. And so I just want to reiterate some of these new concepts. I know I've covered a lot of ground. The first is that the kingdom of God is anywhere where Christ's rule and reign is recognized. And so if you've recognized the rule and reign, the power and authority of Christ in your own life, if you've pledged your allegiance to him, then the kingdom of God is transforming you from the inside out. You are now a walking embassy of the kingdom wherever you go. And at the same time, you have been invited to continue the story of Jesus in partnership with him through proclamation and through demonstration of the good news of the kingdom of God. In a moment, we're going to have a time of reflection and then a time of ministry and response. And I just want to encourage you that during that time, this is when you can be praying, God, how do you want me to join you in your mission of transforming all things? This is a time to pray about how God might be inviting you to do that. We're also going to invite you to take communion during that time. And this is going to be an important part of our morning together because as the video showed and as the Gospels teach and the rest of the New Testament reiterates, Jesus didn't establish his kingdom by crushing his enemies. He established his kingdom by being crushed. The kingdom was established and inaugurated on the cross. He ascended into the heavens by descending into a humiliating death. And even as he neared the end of his life, Jesus said, 
My kingdom is not of this world. It's different. It's a different kind of kingdom, and we are going to do things differently here. His rule and reign looked at first like it had been defeated by the death on the cross, but it was only delayed three days. Because when he rose up out of the grave, his power and authority was demonstrated to the world around him. So as we pray, as we reflect, as we prepare our hearts for ministry, think about all that he has done for you. But also think about how he's inviting you to continue his story today. Let's pray.